When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. On 882 6PR, inspiring stories for Barra and O'Day. Generations of excellence since 1888. Hello and welcome to another edition of Inspiring Stories brought to you by Bower and O'Day, doing ordinary things extraordinarily well. My guest uh, for this edition of Inspiring Stories has done a lot of things extraordinarily well uh, over a number of years and you'll get to know some of the many, many hats that uh, my next guest uh, has worn uh, over the years. Uh, He's uh, been an artist on just about every level you can imagine uh, and among other things, he's actually the Fremantle Dockers number one ticket holder. So a big hello and welcome to Dr. Richard Wally. Hello. Fantastic to be here. Thank you for coming in. Um, I want to get to your, your extraordinary life and your, your career, uh, your adult life at least, um, shortly. But uh, tell us uh, about, uh, about your childhood. I know you were born in, in Meekathara, but you grew up uh, south of Perth. But uh, what, what are your memories of Meekathara in the 50s? Uh, none at all. Right. Uh, my, my, my story starts years before I was born. Yep. Um, my mother was a part of the stolen generation and my father was born in Nunausia Mission. So they were part of that early stolen generation, um, you know, uh, era. And uh, so my mother and father both had families before they met each other. So I had older brothers and sisters before I was born. Right. And particularly my older brothers and sisters from mum's side and, and my older brothers and sisters from my father's side were all uh, put into missions at different times. And, and uh, they were, you know, the, my older brother and sister from mum's side, they were taken off a quite, uh, at a quite young age. Uh, so before I was born, um, you know, mum was very strategic about where I was born and 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 you know, keeping me sort of in in a cocoon in a in an early stage. So yep. they used to in those days find out where kids were born and you'd be registered in that district in that area. Yeah. Um, my grandmother is Yamaji, so my mum's and my father's got Yamaji and Yunga connection, and mum's in Yunga. Yeah. But she was in Yamaji country working up in Meekathara when um, when I was born. And so I was registered in Q, right? And being registered in Q, it was a, it was probably you know one of the best things that can happen to me because uh, from the hospital I went out of Meekathar Hospital to the aeroplane and came back down here to, to Perth. So um, my feet first touched the ground uh, in Yunga country, right? So I took my per- first breath in. Yamaji country, but the first yep. footstep on the ground in Yungar country. First footsteps down here. And and that's, so how old were you then when you, you moved to the Pinjara area? 
Oh, that was, you know, straight out of hospital, so you know, a, couple right. of, a couple of days or a week old when they let you out of hospital there, that came. But the beauty about being um, born in my grandmother's country as well is that the elders knew who I was and who my grandmother was, so some of the elders came and, and saw me as a, as a young fella or mm. when I was born in, in the hospital and spoke to mum and, uh, about uh, the connections with that, uh, that region and that area. Mm. Uh, so that's always that's still pretty strong today. So mm. I, I get no qualms of being you know, on my mum's in Yunga and the family's in Yunga, but also very strong Yamaji connection and Yamaji family. Yeah, and, and the differences between the two, apart from uh, geography. Well, apart from geography, language. There's some practices and stories. A lot of that area, but, but the ending the story of the stolen generation so as a young fellow going to school we were, we lived in the bush uh, we weren't part of the reserves or part of the towns or part of the mission set up so being bush kids we had that freedom and we to, to walk through the bush and you know, mm. interact with, with with animals plants place we still had a lot of the language the languages going a lot of the practice I mean, my father and uncle still did the dancing and they had the stories so I was, I was very um, blessed to be able to pick up all those. And uh, one day going to school, um, a bus turned up, and this bus picked up a lot of my nephews and cousins mm. from the school. And as a young fellow, I thought they'd gone on an excursion because they used to, the Native Welfare used to have these excursions where they'd take people, particularly the kids, up to see the boats in Fremantle or the, mm. to the airport and watch an aeroplane land. So there's all these trips that took place. And I never went on any one of them, and I used to be envious at times. Mm. Um, but my mother would always be at the gate waiting for me after school to come home. And this particular day, I came back and, you know, told her that all these kids had gone on the bus and they're. Uh, and that, that was, I still have the image today, you know, decades later of the parents coming around home later and asking if I saw their kids. And I said, yeah, yeah, they're all on this bus and they went for the trip. And j- just to see them break down and uh, they, they, you, you carry those image yeah. all through your life. And yep. I didn't realize that the kids were taken away. Yeah. And the only reason I wasn't taken away because I wasn't registered there. I was registered in Kew. So that's where the story started. Wow. But I got a, I remember the kids in the bus and they all, we all got a little thrippany ice cream. They even gave me, uh, sorry, thrippany chocolate. There was a little chocolate for thrippens. They call it thrippen chocolate. Uh, three pence for those who know what a thrippens is. But they were little ones with a sort of a purpley blue cover on them and you, you get these little chocolates. And each of these kids had these chocolates holding in their hands. And I had mine, so I put it in my pocket and, uh, you know, sort of keep it until it melts a little bit and then you'd eat it. Mm. But uh, that image of I've seen the kids in the bus uh, still today was it's, it's, it's quite vivid. Uh, yeah, so my, and, my, and still quite painful, I imagine. Oh, yeah, you never get over it. You, you, you come to terms with it. Yeah. Um, how do you how do you rationalise it? It's difficult because it's such a it's such a uh, a profound thing to experience at such a young age. Well, it's more difficult when you get older and see what the effects of the kids being taken away are. Mm. Um, a lot of them are no longer with us. Uh, a lot of them have drug and alcohol problems. They've got relationship problems. There's there's a lot of difficulties that, that comes with being taken away. And uh, it, it's something that, you know, like I've always found that uh, 
the kids that were taken away, their parents came and told me stories that they wanted to hand down. Mm. So I got a lot of the stories in the and the songs that were meant for you know the the other families, but the, the kids weren't there, so they they came and spoke to me about them and, and told me about those as mm. as a young man, fast tracked into that sort of cultural life. Uh, and, and those on one side that, that's traumatic and very difficult years, but the other side living in the bush and having that freedom of of who you are and you know being being able to be close to your parents and you know my mother and father were fantastic parents they allowed me to go and uh, stay with my uncles and aunts uh, at different times because that we'd live in the bush and if they go further into the bush uh, I stayed with my um my my nana aunt and and my uncle who'd send me to school yeah uh, at, at the the Ravenswood Bend and Uncle Martin and Kay and um and Ivy was my auntie, but the big sister used to take me to school in that area. Then I stayed with Annie Rose and Uncle Tom, which is Dad's um, other sister, and they they raised me for a few years. So I was, and then with Uncle Steve, so I was blessed to go around and, in a traditional term, spend time with my uncles and aunts, because in our culture, your uncles and your aunts, your mothers and fathers. Yeah. So I was very blessed to be, you know, have that experience of of that that. That that cultural term yeah. of of the mothers and fathers actually mothering and fathering you. You obviously absorbed a lot of those uh, stories and uh, and the dances uh, and the songs at the time because it's it's played such an important role uh, in your life ever since. Uh, was there a point where, where you realised uh, the significance of of what you were absorbing? Uh, not until much later when I found that I as, as a young fellow. Um, uh, there was a lot of meetings that I'd go to with my uncles and, mm. and they were very, very, uh, strategic and inclusive. They, they always made sure that if they did something that it was beneficial for everyone and not just themselves. And, uh, that, that was something that, that it installed in me at an early age. Um, and I found that things like, like, uh, dances that we, you know, we do our traditional dance in the bush, but also... Mm. My uncles and aunts and, and, and mothers and fathers were all also good at, at at contemporary dance. So as a young man, I you learned how to do the yeah. the gypsy tap and the fox trots and the pride of errands <laughs> and the barn dances. And we can do all those those waltzes as as good as anyone. Yeah. Um, and I think that was a that was fantastic to be able to look at both sides. And also as a young man, I was brought up listening to the radio. The radio had sort of three types of programs on, and those programs were the rock and roll, of course, of the day, yep. which is fantastic. We liked our rock and roll, but it also had the classics, and I used to love the Strauss waltzes and yeah. listen to those classics. Um, and the, the other one was country and western. Yep. So as a young fellow, I got used to listening to these different rhythms and beats, and, mm. and, and as well as our own singing. And mm. So... When I started to play music, it wasn't uh, hard to look at different genres of mm. music rather than being brought up with one. Uh, so sitting down playing, and particularly didgeridoo in my later life, playing to the Strauss waltzes and the, the rock and rolls. and the Seemed and like a perfectly fantastic. normal thing to do. <laughs> well, they, they were references, see. They were references yeah. as well as the traditional one. Yep. And what it actually did, it allowed me then to play for different genres. So, uh, I, was, I was blessed a few years later, to be able to go into Berlin, uh, East Berlin, when the war was still up, and and play where Strauss conducted in the Linden Opera. And that was 
that was absolutely fantastic to just walk on those stages with a didgeridoo and yeah. uh, the East, East Berlin Wind Quartet played. Uh, and we did a, a documentary on that called Didgeridoo in Deutschland. But you link all those achievements back to your childhood uh, you know, experiences. And most of my life has been like that. The things that I've achieved, you link them back to your childhood because yep. uh, it may look like a you know, large resume and stuff, but that's been on the shirt tail of a lot of fantastic achievers and teachers that have yep. you know, honed and showed me mm. lots of ways of doing things. Well, you've certainly achieved an incredible amount uh, as an artist, but uh, we're going to take a break. And after that, I want to ask you about uh, when you really started work uh, in the area of social justice. Uh, Dr. Richard Wally is our special guest for this edition of Inspiring Stories here on 882 6PR. You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Barra and O'Day, generations of excellence since 1888. You're listening to another edition of Inspiring Stories on 882 6PR for Barra and O'Day, WA's family-owned funeral directors. Welcome back. Tim McMillan is my name. My special guest for this edition is Dr. Richard Wally, OAM. Uh, Dr. Wally, I'm, I'm guessing a lot of your recognition for that uh, Order of Australia uh, that uh, that you received some years back was for your work in the area of social justice, uh, theatre as well. Uh, but your work in, in, in that area, social justice, really started at, at quite a young age, around about 23. And since then, you've, geez, you've sat on a lot of boards, haven't you? Yeah, well... Because of storytelling, I'll tell a story about how that came about. I, as a young man, um, was always looking to challenge myself, yep. uh, and that was given to me again by you know my mothers and fathers to to always challenge yourself. Um, so I went to school. I you know I loved school. I, um, it was fantastic. The the school not only gave me an education, but it gave me a a group of friends that I, I still have today that, that you, 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 you create another belonging within that school system. And uh, four of us from our school area went on and became apprentices within uh, the uh, AIS at that stage in Kwinana. And we went through our apprenticeship together. So that friendship was pretty, pretty tight. Mm. Um, and you know, as a young apprentice, it, it, was, it was a learning curb Again, by the, the tradesmen and, and, and another group of people who, who will teach you uh, things about not only the, uh, the, the trade that you're on, but other things they teach you about. Like I, I come across a lot of unionists in those early times, and yep. I found that they were absolutely fantastic for, for me because they were saying, you know, these are the things that you could achieve, and, 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 and this is why we, we have a union movement. Um, and the, I found a bit of the history that the unions were also very supportive of Aboriginal issues for a number of years. So that became another association that that, that, I, that I still have today, and I do yep. May Day marches, I do that. Yep. But that that, that uh, apprenticeship led me on to being a tradesman, and I, then I went and did you know, specialist uh, welding, so I went to X-ray A-grade uh, overhead stovepipe welding, went back and did night school to get uh, those other qualifications, uh, and one summer I was actually in the shipyards welding. And then during that time, um, I went to visit a friend uh, and uh, that friend uh, introduced me to another fellow who came into his office. The friend was called Neil Phillips and he was working in, in Perth. And Neil said to me, oh, this is, this is Rob, Rob, this is Richard. And he said to me, so you're 
Violet's son. I said, yep. He said, that's my mum. <laughs> I said, you're kidding, because we've been looking for Rob wow. for years, because he's my older brother that was taken away. Yeah. And he was put into sister How long had you uh, been missing him for? Over 20 years. Wow. And he was put into Sister Kate's. And uh, mum and I used to go up every uh, twice a year to Sister Kate's to visit him. And I'd take a bag of lollies and a bag of clothes and we'd sit at Sister Kate's and wait. Because you have to write a letter to the Native Welfare in those days before you can go and visit uh, any of the kids. So mum would write those letters and they'd get the permission to go and see him. We went up for a number of years and never once did we ever see him. And so, you know, to see him at this stage and you know, he and I got on quite well and we had a conversation and he offered me a job in New Era Aboriginal Fellowship. I said, look, I'm not interested in, in the politics or in that area. I'm a boilermaker and I've got my qualifications and I'm earning good money and I'm doing quite okay. Yep. But he said two things that sort of changed my mind. One of them was, well, you can start at nine o'clock. And that was fantastic, and finish at four, because I was starting at six at <laughs> yeah. that stage. And and the other thing is, you got a fan in the office, and in the middle of summer, in uh, in a in the hull of a shipyard, I was working at ASI at that stage, yep. in the shipbuilding industry. Uh, I said, well, this would be fantastic for three months until the the heat goes over, and I'll come back and do some welding. Mm. Uh, during that time, I found that there was a lot of movements in the um, social justice area by some old people. It was a combination of Aboriginal people and Quakers at that time uh, in the new era Aboriginal fellowship. And again, I rented a couple of old tutors and teachers there, like Mrs. Hanson, Mrs. Isaac, you know, Lorna Hume, mm. uh, people like uh, Uncle Arthur Prosser and Uncle Eddie Bennell. And these became, again, another group of teachers and mentors who, who showed me... Uh, what they were doing in the social justice area, they got me in as a young man. And because of the background I was brought up with, particularly with uh, the strategic planning, like, you know, you do a boilermaking in those days, we used to yep. do our own drafting. So we did drafting and we do planning and set out the how. So I used the same methodology of, of putting programs and projects yep. together, yep. which the old people enjoyed. And they gave me a lot of rope. And, and of course, I made a lot of mistakes, but they, they're always there to support you. Um, and they enjoyed the way I put some of these projects and programs together and, and, and budgeted them and, and spoke about things like inflation, which they didn't cater <laughs> for before and said, you know, you've got to put in for more this year. So that sort of stuff was very important for me because it, it taught me then how to work with a team of other people outside yep. my family. Yep. Um, and their guidance was absolutely brilliant in that that area. Yeah. So I then got to meet a lot of professions, uh, professionals. Sorry, people like lawyers and doctors, and and we we ran the new Air Aboriginal Fellowship under the guidance of another great mentor for me it was Ken Colbung. And so Ken led us through this uh, era. I was his admin officer. Then he went off and started another organisation, and then I became the executive officer as a young fellow, and. Because I uh, had this strategic approach and, and, and can get through an agenda, uh, I started to be, um, you know, selected onto boards and organisations. So by the time you I was 20, did. 23, <laughs> I chaired the advisory, consultative and coordinating committees, which yep. uh, I, I look back now and think they were a blessed years because they, they give you so much grounding. Yep. Because those boards had not only our families and the people that I knew within the Perth area, but they came from the state and all over. For the Pilbara and Kimberley people came in, the Murchison uh, 
came down. You had the Goldfields and the Great Southern. So walk, talking with all of these groups was, was again, an, an mm. education. Mm. Uh, and they also gave you a lot of strategies and show you what the issues were. Mm. Uh, everyone, everyone can identify issues. That's not hard. But can, it's, I, can I ask you just, just on, the, on the issues cause, and, and just sort of glossing over some of the, the, the boards and, and organisations that you were a part of, the Aboriginal Medical Service, Aboriginal Housing Board, Legal Service, uh, Alcoholism Committee, Sports Foundation, just to name some of them, the issues that sort of attracted you to them in the first place. Um, how do you reckon? How do you reckon we've gone in advancing the cause in the in the years since? We've got a, we've come a long way, uh, but we've still got a long way to go. Yeah. But but the advancements, if you look back to those days mm. and compare what we have today, we've made some giant steps. Yep. Uh, and I, I firmly believe that. Things like the the housing um, situation is, is is something that is still uh, controversial and and yep. and and, uh, and that's that's one where I can't have any comments and opinions anymore because I'm not in that area anymore. Mm. But during that time, we found that there was a lot of uh, wasted funds yep. in that in that area, and we wanted to address those issues and. Yeah, we held people accountable within those departments and organisations. There wasn't a legal service or medical service, uh, and in those early early areas, I, I was actually involved with the the planning with the lawyers and and the doctors, and not actually on the first boards. Yeah, so I wasn't in any of the boards, but the planning and putting them together on behalf of New Era, that was a great experience. And Can I ask you? Uh, we're probably have, going to have to get into this more after our next break, but uh, mid seventies. Um, you started working with Ernie Dingo. I understand you guys did the first uh, Welcome to Country. What what was quite possibly the first Welcome to Country for non-Indigenous uh, Australians? And then, of course, you 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 and Ernie and some other friends uh, formed this uh, extraordinary theatre group. Um, do you remember when you first met Ernie? I remember very very clearly when we first met Ernie. It was in a basketball carnival in Narragin. Mm. And Ernie was playing. He's pretty for, tall, isn't he, Ernie? He was tall, and he was he was absolutely uh, fluid and brilliant player, yeah. and uh, this fantastic, and still has this wonderful personality. Um, and he was playing against us. We had an all Aboriginal side, and he was playing with the uh, East Perth Eagles, I think Highgate or East Perth at that stage. Um, and he played against us. Yep. Um, that was the only game he ever played against us. Uh, from then on, as he came and joined us, and we yeah. we've we played played together ever since. But uh, again, that's another world, the basketball world, where families and, and friendships yeah. uh, grow and, and blossom. And yeah. It's amazing uh, when, you, when you're you open to um, uh, to listen to other people and you find that you're not the only one who's got struggles at times. But, yeah. but uh, so, yeah, that, that was fantastic. But the, the first welcome, the country, that was actually... Uh, 1976, yeah. 76, it was at the University of Western Australia where they had the Fringe Festival mm-hmm. and we were performing as Midar at that, that, that era. And, um, the, there was a group called the South Sea Sensation and there were two Maoris and two Cook Islanders and they would not perform unless they got a welcome to country. Wow. Because okay. it was part of their culture. They, yep. they're on someone else's country. Yep. So they came to me and said, you know, can you do a welcome to country for us? And I think, oh, I better, uh, what, what's that? You know, I better talk to my uncles and aunts. And so I rung, um, as I said to dad, you know, if you've done any welcomes, he said, well, talk to your uncle. So I went and spoke to my other uncles and um, Uncle Lou, and he said, well, in the old days, people would sit on the outside and, and make a fire and they'd wait. They wouldn't come into your country until you go and meet them and bring mm. them in. 
Mm. He said, and, and you, you know, if, if they're good people, you go and see them straight away. If, you, if you're suspicious of them, you leave them there for a while. Yeah. And if they're still there, that means they really want to come in and you go and greet them. So there was these protocols. So I learned that, that there was, that was part of our, our culture. Yeah. And uh, so with that, I went back and, and said to them, look, you know, I'll, I'll do the welcome. And because uh, and it was my grandmother's country uh, th- that was here in, in the area, uh, I, I had the permission from those uncles yeah. to actually do that. Um, and so that, that was quite interesting because what happened is that people saw the ceremony of the welcome and one of the people that saw it was the Northern Territory Tourist Bureau and a fellow called Alan Hines. And Alan Hines says, we'd like you to welcome all of our Northern Territory people down, Ted Egan and people like that performing at the um, the tourism convention. So we do welcomes at the tourist convention first and then the Australian Tourist Commission saw it and said, this it is a wonderful thing, and, and you know, it took off from there. Yeah, so it it's was, become it was really such a, uh, a an expected uh, part of uh, of events and ceremonies ever since, hasn't it? Yeah. Also, very ironically, it shows you that if you know you take it in it, in its spirit, it's fantastic because mm. mm. we did the Miss Universe pageant, <laughs> and that was uh, in '79, and that was a bit of a challenge because it was really really good because <laughs> you know, the television world's colliding there, and yeah. the, and what happened is that the um, some of them wanted the they wanted a welcome, but they wanted it as a as a spectacle rather than a spiritual welcome. So they yeah. they wanted to change things, and we said you can't change things. This is what they are. We could, yeah. if you want a performance, we can do a performance. Yep. But they kept going, and we said, um, you know, we're not going to do that, but we mm. will do this performance. Mm. And of course, right after that, the stage collapsed in the entertainment centre, <laughs> and so Australia, West Australia, made the news as the place where the the stage collapsed with the Miss Universe pageants walking on it. And we looked at the fellow who organised it, right and, there and smiled it. and shook our head and said, to him, "You know, if you have, the, the karma is there. The ancestors yep. are watching." So, yep, there you go. Lessons learned. Lessons learned. I, I want to really talk about uh, your incredible career on on stage and on TV. In front of the camera and, and and behind the scenes as well. That's uh, that's all ahead on this edition of Inspiring Stories with Dr. Richard Wally. This is eight eighty two six BR. You're listening to another edition of Inspiring Stories on eight eighty two six BR for Barra and O'Day, WA's family owned funeral directors. You're listening to another edition of Inspiring Stories on eight eighty two six BR for Barra and O'Day. WA's family-owned funeral directors. And my special guest for this edition is Dr. Richard Wally. Uh, we were touching on uh, your artistic achievements uh, just a little bit uh, before that last break. Uh, there's so much to get through. Um, you've uh, released um, a number of CDs uh, as a didgeridoo player. You've done Welcome to Countries uh, all around the world. Um, you've performed on stage. you performed with Carlos Santana, for goodness sake, which is pretty extraordinary. Um what are you most proud of uh, of achieving uh, in, in that area of your life? Um, I, I, that, that's a difficult one. Uh, I find that the, my proudest moments of performing was uh, when I'm on stage uh, with my my children, yep, and my my nephews and nieces. Uh, you know, to walk onto the arena up in Perth uh, for the opening of the, the cricket, for example, with um, of the new stadium or. Any performance locally where I can look back and I've got my generations that mm. are behind me, particularly my, you know, my sons and my daughter and and my wife dance with me as well and my sisters. That that's that's what it's about. The rest of it's all all, all bonuses. Yeah. Uh, the, the probably. But the, Royal Albert Hall, for instance, so many people can say they've performed at Royal Albert Hall. 
a lot of people can say they perform there because it's, it's a venue where people are performing all the time. You know? I we, suppose. And we performed at you know the, the Lincoln Lincoln Center in New York and yep. places like that. Uh, but I'd have to say to stand on a stage and say, uh, was a powerful time to, to tell people that you're standing in the land of my people uh, and my, my country uh, and we're still here with our language. And behind me on that stage was the Queen, the Prime Minister, the Premier and the Lord Mayor of Perth. Mm. And I think to make that statement that we as a culture are still here and that this is still our country and we're still very ingrained in it and, and that that to me was was probably the highlight, yeah. Uh, particularly for what you know, we started off with, with the legislations and the, the the tragedies that that our people have been through. I must mention that it took another ten years before I caught up with my sister that was taken away, and I caught up my other brothers and sisters in Mikathara when I was in my teenager years, which is really good. Yeah. But my other sister Rosie, I didn't catch it till I was in my thirties. Wow. So you know this. To to there's lots of stories we can tell and yeah. and unfortunately with time limit we you know you cut a lot of that out so. Um, can I say have you have you managed to 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 reacquaint yourself with everyone now? Oh that yes, you, that you lost back then. We're very blessed because before Mum passed away, she caught up with all of her kids and yeah. grandchildren and 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 we, we completed the circle. Yeah, so that that was really really good. Uh, and but but you know performances was something I was brought up with the. I remember as a young man, I was working in a new era at the time in my 20s and an old fella come to me and he looked at me and he had a smile and he said to me, uh, you play this one. Mm. And he pointed and he looked at me and he was, he was asking me and telling me at the same time. He, he didn't say, you know, do you play this one? He, he said, you play this one. Mm. And he pointed to the didgeridoo. So I picked it up and I blew it. And by blowing it, I played it straight away, and I didn't, and I had the cycle breathing, so I can keep going. So you, you had that circular breathing, from, and I didn't know what was unusual about it because I played it and had that circle going straight away. And he he smiled and gave me a, a blessing. He said, "That's yours. You take it." But he said, "You know who to give it to." He said, "That's we don't own. Yeah, we don't own it, but you'll know who to give it to." And of course, a few years later, that same did you do? I took with five others to meet. Um, uh, Stevie Wonder when he was in Perth and Stevie right. wanted to hear some did you do so I took three of these yeah and I played and played but when I played that one he stopped and and he, he put his hand out and he put his hand on it and he, he'd feel it as I was playing and he's listening and swaying and he said this is special he said I can feel a connection to it is and I right? knew who to give it to him so Stevie Wonder so he, Stevie Wonder now has that did you do he has that did you do wow in that so that that was a story of the old fellow knew it was going yeah in that area uh, so that's where it introduced me to the didgeridoo playing, mm. and, and as I mentioned, because I was brought up with the the different types of music, the classics and the rocks and the and the rock and the country, then I, I played the didgeridoo to them all. So that gave me a different type of rhythm. Mm. Then I was creating these rhythms and sounds that the old people are saying, "Hang on, that's different, new. You got a rhythm going there." Whereas the didgeridoo is mostly with the drone and calls. Yeah. So I was one of the first ones to play the rhythms. And do the the, the beats that that You're go through the rhythms at that stage. <laughs> so I had to go back. Well, not had to. I I went back and sat down on country with the people up in the Kimberley area and sat down on country and showed them what I was doing. And they gave me their blessing and got me to play the wonga with them, which is one of their traditional dances. And yep. and participate in the wonga and gave me the blessing then to play it. And I use the same um, conditions this day. I don't you know I never I don't drink alcohol. I don't smoke. So you know that's easy to do. Um, 
but but they've been able to take it as an instrument and get the blessing of the elders to yeah. to play it with other instruments was uh, was fantastic. Mm. And the rest of it, of course, it got me around the world four or five times to mm. uh, just just play it. Yeah, it's it, you've you've travelled with it uh, far and wide, haven't you? Um, I, I have to ask you about Carlos Santana, though. How did that come about, and and uh, and how did you go with with Carlos? Because he's a he's a legend. Oh yeah, yeah. I was blessed. We we played plus with Paul Simon as well, and yeah. uh, you know a couple of other people that are fantastic. But Carlos's story. Carlos was in. We performed in London at a presentation, and Carlos was in the audience, and he heard the music, and um, uh, he liked the music. So mm. I got this phone call in out of America uh, from um, uh, one of his agents, says they want to use some of that music, and I, you know I said fantastic. Uh, Love to use it, you, and that uh, the rest is history. He put it into the the DVD of the Supernatural. He got it too late to put it onto the the Supernatural um, recording, mm. but when he used the DVD part of it, he put mm. the My Did You Do starts off the DVD part. Then when he came back here to perform, I went on stage with him live and performed live with the Did You Do's, and uh, yeah, that was fantastic. And yeah. he, he's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, John Butler Trio as well. More recently, the list goes uh, on and on. I'm sure your uh, your discography, uh, well, would take up would take up half a Wikipedia page probably. But uh, people will have to check that out uh, in their own time. Because I want to ask you about your association with the uh, with the Fremantle Dockers uh, as well. That's uh, coming up uh, on Inspiring Stories. This is eight eighty two six PR with Dr. Richard Wally. You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Barra and O'Day. Generations of excellence since 1888. You're listening to another edition of Inspiring Stories on 882 6PR for Barra and O'Day, WA's family-owned funeral directors. And our inspiring story in this edition is the inspiring story of Dr. Richard Wally, OAM. Um, I, I don't know if we even have time to go into OAM because I have to ask you about the... Uh, the uh, the Fremantle Dockers, your association with the Dockers, you are now their uh, honorary number one ticket holder, which is quite an honour. Oh, it, it's very much an honour. Uh, I firmly believe that number one ticket holders represent the spirit of of, of the, you know of the clubs and um, the the spirit of the, of the Dockers is is, 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 is quite a good one. Mm. They're community minded. They're in inclusiveness. Uh, there, there's a lot of um, firsts that that the Dockers have actually been involved with. Um, and they, they, you know, again, like I was brought up with, they, they, they like to challenge themselves and push the boundaries. And I think that's a fantastic thing. They're going all right this year too, aren't they, the Dockers? Uh, fantastic, yeah. And, uh, you know, <laughs> we're going we're gonna to keep going well. That, uh, yeah. It, there's an old cliche, you can, you can, don't care who they are, which player or which club, they'll all say the same thing now. It, 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 you can put out a tape, you know, it, it's a week by week and... You stick to the plan, and, and and things will come out okay. <laughs> now you have also uh, you've 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 helped design a couple of the uh, jumpers for Indigenous Round too. What does that mean for you as someone who's been such a uh, an advocate uh, for Aboriginal recognition over so many years? Uh, to be able to contribute um, to something as important as Indigenous Round, what does that mean to you? Um, well, it goes back a few years before that. We worked with the Waffles, and we designed the South Fremantle and, and um, Claremont. Uh, with Brian Sikotosko and um, and Brad Collard and, and Todd Shimmer, they were fantastic as well as the presidents and the clubs yep. of the clubs. They they really supported this change. So we just designed this jumper, which is the first in any any major sporting um, event in Australia, arguably the world. And within a, a couple of years, the whole 
uh, competition was wearing the jumpers, uh, which is fantastic. Um, and that led into, you know, the AFL seeing that that was a good idea. But we designed the Dockers jumpers well before they actually allowed us to use it. Um, at that stage, you had to have permission to use the different one because you can only have one different jumper through the yep. year. And I think it was the Starlight Foundation, which is a fantastic cause at that design. Uh, so we had it in, in, in you know, um, uh, in, in store for a while. And that, that then came out, and that was working with, with Roger Hayden. So what the, the Fremantle Club do, they work with the, the past players. So the first one is Roger and I got together and got the story and put the design down. The second one, Dale Kickett, was absolutely fantastic. Dale came up with the concept and the idea. Then he and I'd sit down and design it, and that's how it actually came about, the second one. So bringing the players together uh, as well as, you know, sort of myself as a designer, I think it was mm. a, a fantastic thing. Mm. Um, can I ask uh, just to – I hate to, to, to steer away from your uh, list of achievements because they are many but, uh, uh, and, 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 and venture into the world of politics here, but can I ask you about Australia Day? What do you, what do you think about the debate around changing Australia Day? Uh, to me, it's a no-brainer. It, it's about, if you're talking to Australia Day, it, it's all about dates and relevance and relevance of those dates. And if people sit down and have a look at it and they say, what is Australia Day about? Australia Day is about nationhood. Mm-hmm. It's about us coming together as a nation. Now, nationhood is, is, is stronger in, in that context than, than statehood, and it's also, you know, definitely stronger than colonisation. So if you're looking at that, then the dates of Australia Day is the 1st of January, the 9th of May, very relevant dates of being, the, you know, the first the formation of a nation, also the setting of par- first setting of parliament. So there's a lot of references to those particular dates. The 26th is a, why it's so controversial and debatable. It's actually about colonisation. It's about a small area. That is not nationhood. That's not statehood. It's actually about colonisation. And some of the colonisations weren't done in a, in a, in a nice fashion. Uh, they were very challenging and quite brutal. And uh, th- so to represent colonisation as a nation is not, not what we're about. Whereas the formation of a state or the formation of a nation was done in a cordial fashion where everyone got together and says, well, let's have a, have a common uh, link and a common cause across this as a, as a nation. So if you look at that, and it's a, it's a longer debate, it's a longer debate. And I yeah. was blessed to be on the Centenary Federation Council and people like Rodney Cavalier and, and Tony Eggleton, uh, Eggleston, they were fantastic mentors for me in, the, in that world and that political world and manoeuvring through you know, both the Labour and Liberal Party. So it goes beyond us. It, it's a long conversation. So is there a date that you would prefer to see it on? I, I think I mean, you mentioned sort of federation there. Yeah. Um, to, to, uh, to supposed to, to mark that occasion, the beginning of, of our well, if you federation? Well, if you look at it really, the, 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 it used to be the Monday of the long weekend. So it's never ever been on the, you know, the same date all the time. It's always mm. changed. It's been on many different dates. Uh, so I think the it should be a nice, healthy debate that we come together and say, how can we talk this rather than saying you're un-Australian by not doing it? Uh, we, we should be saying, how can we collectively celebrate us as a collection in nationhood? And what are the relevant dates that brings us together as a nation? Uh, and I think that's the, the healthy debate. Yeah. Okay. Well, we might have to... Uh Save that debate for a, <laughs> another time. We could yeah. devote a, a whole hour to that. Um, in more recent times, uh, you have uh, taken on the role as Director of Aboriginal Productions and Promotions. Um, what is that all about? 
What do you that, guys do? That's a family business. Myself and my, and my wife, Robin, uh, started the company many years ago. Yeah, so it's a, it's a private enterprise? It's a private enterprise, and what it does, it, we work in a lot of productions and promotions, and you know, my, my son, John, and, and yep. Olman, and Elton, and my daughter, Rakita, are all part of the. It's a family business, and uh, my sisters work at, at times with us. Uh, so it, it, it's, it's a family business um, that, that's working to... In, in cultural awareness, cultural programs, uh, those sorts of areas where uh, people want to learn more, but also more importantly, how to infuse the beauty of Aboriginal science and Aboriginal culture and Aboriginal practices into everyday operations. Because mm. we were the masters of bringing families together, the masters of looking at the, the balance between nature and, and, and oneself. So all the, uh, the mission statements and, and all the value statements of companies it's something that our cultures have been operating with for thousands of years. So mm. to bring that to the fore is fantastic. Dr. Richard Bolly, it's been fascinating uh, getting to know more of your story. We appreciate you sharing it with us. Uh, thanks for the opportunity. Uh, that is Dr. Richard Wally. Uh, in this edition of Inspiring Stories, everyone has a story to tell, uh, and the one you've just heard is brought to you by Bower and O'Day. Thanks very much for listening. We'll have another edition for you of Inspiring Stories very soon on 882 6PR. You're listening to another edition of Inspiring Stories on 882 6PR for Barra and O'Day, WA's family-owned funeral directors. When making the double chicken deluxe at Macca's, we wanted to improve on the perfect combo of tender Aussie chicken with cheese, tomato and aioli. So, we doubled it. Chicken and Macca's together and loving it. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Available after 10.30am for a limited time only.